Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. 
Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Thanks, Ainsley. Well, please keep those Bibles open. You'll find also an outline that I'll be working to in uh, that bulletin you received. Let's pray as we come to God's wonderful word together. Father, we thank you that you're our God, that you're so good to us, that you speak into all our circumstances. Help us now to be your people who hear you and marvel and delight in all that you teach us. And we pray you would teach us deeply, wonderfully and well. In Jesus' name, amen. I once heard the story of a university student who used to walk around campus with his badge on, with the letters B-A-I-K on it. And if you asked him what it would mean, he'd say, boy, am I confused. And if you asked him, you know, but don't you know that C, uh, confused starts with C? Said, yeah, that's just how confused I am. And, you know, he's, he's not the only one now, is he, who gets confused. Life is bewildering in so many different ways and confusing. I remember being intensely confused as a kid and then as a teenager. And for some reason, I hitched on to the idea that all confusion would disappear and I'd know and understand everything when I turned 21. That was the plan. Apparently, it was guaranteed, foolproof. 21, everything comes good. That's right, isn't it? All those of you who are past 21? Well, see, here's the thing. I don't know if it is true or not because 21 never came for me. 21 wasn't needed, and it wasn't needed because something happened in the meantime. At age 19, I was converted. To use the words and language here, I was born again as a Christian, became alive to Christ living in me by His Holy Spirit. And right then, in that moment, my confusion stopped increasing and actually started to decrease started to decrease. It was all quite bizarre at the time and very, very surprising. And it happened because God's wisdom began to take root in my life because of the Holy Spirit living in me. And so from that moment on, the whole world began to look different. As from the Holy Spirit, I received a whole new worldview, a Christian worldview, a Christian way of understanding everything around me, making sense of everything around me. Now, the way the Spirit started doing this in me is simple, rational, reasonable. He's still doing it today. And it's really quite wonderful. And it's not just me. He works exactly the same way in every single Christian, all of God's people. For the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And over time, He educates us. That's what He does. He educates us. He's the great teacher, the great educator, just as Jesus promised He would. 
The Holy Spirit takes from the words of Jesus and he teaches us everything that we need to know, hear and understand in the Bible so that we can submit our lives to Christ. He does this by soaking us in God's word, his commands, his statutes, his precepts, his laws, his doctrines, slowly but surely expressing Christ's lordship over our lives, transforming us from the inside out, reshaping most of all, first of all, the way we think about all things so that we start to match the way he thinks. And once again, this is where that kingdom table we've been working on becomes really helpful for us to keep track of what's going on here. So we're thinking today about the last of those differences that the Holy Spirit makes in every Christian in this period of time that we live in between the cross and Jesus' return. This epoch that's described for us by Acts to Revelation in the New Testament. We've seen already that God placed his kingdom in our hearts, spiritually placing it there so that being in Christ by the Holy Spirit transforms us from the inside out, gradually transforming everything about us. We've, we've been thinking about this last two weeks. And while the Holy Spirit works in each of us individually, which he does, he also works in all of us corporately as the people of God, changing things about us at the speed and timing of his own choosing. The three effects, the three key effects of the Holy Spirit on every Christian are the same. Christ in us by the Holy Spirit gives us new life, a new community and a new worldview. And we become aware of this, alert to this difference the moment we believe the gospel and we receive this Holy Spirit-driven worldview. And as we do, each Christian becomes more alert and interested in what God desires and we become less interested and therefore less confused because we're no longer pursuing what the world desires or even what our own flesh desires. That's the big change. Now, I think to be, to be clear, let's say what a worldview is. A worldview is an overall perspective, uh, something through which every single human has. And it's the way we understand things and interpret things around us. So every human has a worldview. Think of it like a pair of glasses, if you like, or a lens through which we see things, interpret things, understand ourselves. Kind of like that filter that you put on an Instagram post, right? Yeah, don't worry about it. Meanwhile, all of our worldviews are formed and informed by the experiences of life as we live it. Whether good or bad experiences, every single thing infects or informs or educates our worldview, shaping reshaping, challenging or reinforcing that worldview in some way or another. That's going on for every single human being all the time. For the Christian, with the Holy Spirit living in us, he, he takes the lead in this shaping, in this moulding of our worldview. He is the one who transforms us by the renewing of our minds as he applies the words of Jesus to our hearts. Uh, the words of Jesus, of course, they're the ones we find in the Bible. The witness of the apostles as recorded in the Bible. And that's why because of the Holy Spirit, Christians are Bible people. We're Bible people. We love the Bible. We read the Bible. We spend time with the Bible. We can't get enough of the Bible. And also, it's the reason why we feel guilty and start getting confused again whenever we refuse to let the words of the Bible impact our lives. This is the Holy Spirit's work in us as Christians, influencing us, to take, influencing us to take up his word 
and enlightening our minds to understand the mind of God. And he likewise moves us to gather with other Christians, exactly like we're doing right now, and sitting together with God's Word, like this, so that we can all be profoundly shaped and reshaped together. And as we do, God, by His Spirit, directs and redirects and informs and shapes our worldview. He does it in different ways for all of us at the same time. Sometimes He's reshaping us, rebuking us, correcting us by God's Word. Other times, He's teaching and training us and moving us in new directions. And even as we're sitting here tonight, those two things will be happening differently for each of us. He's that clever. He's capable of doing it differently in all of us. And whichever effect is happening within the moment, He's always busy, very busy, using God's Word to make each of us wise for salvation and equip us with every, for every good work whilst we await Jesus' return. That's why we need the Bible. And that's why for you and I living this side of the cross, before Jesus' return, it's the New Testament that we look at most. as the New Testament that speaks directly into all our issues because our issues are different to the issues of the Old Testament people of God. There's similarities, yes, we're following the same God, There's also dramatic differences in the setting and the circumstances where we're doing it. And those differences are vast and we need to make careful note of them. I know you've probably noticed that across this series as we've been working from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible is not a flat book addressing all people the same way at all times. No, no, no. God speaks and instructs us differently in each time period, in each epoch that we find ourselves and he does it like this and he publishes more and he supplies the next person who's going to add to that testimony until all of it was complete and he does it so that we will each understand the times in which we live and live appropriate to the times and the situations in which we find ourselves that's going what's going on throughout the entire bible whenever we pick it up and read it it's addressing specifically a certain period of time and how to think in that period of time. And no more has been added because we're in that last period. We're now in the last days before it all comes to its conclusion. And this, of course, is what we probably noticed. And I hope you noticed this as Ainsley read out for us 1 Peter today. Did you notice the worldview shaping information that was there? Did you notice what happened and, and what was immediately declared? Verse 1, check it out again. Peter addressed his reader's identity. Did you hear it? He called them God's elect. He called them scattered exiles. And in verse 2, he he declares that they didn't choose God. Rather, he chose them. And that he chose them through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for a particular purpose, for obedience to Christ and sprinkling in his blood. And right there, right in that moment, that challenges and overturns so much about who we say we are, who I say I am. So I'm not just Michael Williamson, a citizen of Australia with uh, one wife, four sons, one and a half daughters-in-law, two dogs, no partridge in the pear tree, I don't have a pear tree, living in Wanuna, job as a minister. Those things are true, yes, but they're not the most significant about me because what does it say I am? I'm God's elect. And I'm actually not a resident, I'm an exile. I'm an exile in the world. 
And I've got a life purpose here, chosen and sanctified for obedience to Christ as a vessel of his mercy. That, that base identity changes everything, doesn't it? Straight away. And not just for me, but for you too. Anyone who calls themselves a Christian, these are the things that are true about us. And what does that mean? What does it look like? Well, that's what gets unpacked as we keep on reading. So verse 3 kicks off straight into it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are now shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. And when all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Do you hear it? The worldview? That's a Christian worldview. Notice how it talks about time and circumstance, the present, the future. It gives us an understanding of suffering, glory and hope. That little snippet alone, these tiny set of verses alone, are what we Christians need to survive, to thrive, to understand and even to endure the toughest and most difficult aspects of life. This is what makes it possible for us to understand these things. It's radical talk. In fact, it's so radical, there's no way a non-Christian would ever agree with this understanding of life and circumstances won't agree with this way of thinking. In fact, thinking and living God's way, thinking His way and not our own and not the world's way, it actually sets us apart. It's what sets Christians apart from non-Christians. Yes, we're still able to cohabit all parts of the world. We're still able to live in areas like the northern Illawarra together. That's true. But we're thinking differently and we're approaching life differently and our future differently. Because we have a different worldview and we're doing different things. And this is likewise that difference that leads to persecution of Christians throughout the world over history. Our worldview is different and it leads to living differently. And difference, of course, is often perceived as a threat. And again, if we have our Bibles open, this shouldn't be a surprise to us because Jesus warned us of this. He said, if they persecute me, they will persecute you also. John 15, verse 20. We go, well, thanks very much, Jesus. Really appreciate that. That's just one of the difficulties that's going to happen if we actually listen to him and live his way. But alongside that difficulty, in actual fact, the, the full magnitude, the breadth and depth of our Christian worldview also makes it quite difficult for a very new Christian to fully grasp what's going on. So after that first delightful breath as a new Christian, having experienced that at age 19, understanding for the first time, you're like, this is amazing. But then, of course, the next day happens. And now understanding and participating in our Christian worldview, well, it's very challenging. 
because it now changes everything about us. And it doesn't come naturally at all. And it rarely happens swiftly or easily for any follower of Jesus to actually live out what it means to be or to have this identity. I say, wow, it's just hard. And it is, but see, God's no fool. He doesn't overlook the young and the new believer. And he doesn't expect us to get this right all the time. And he doesn't reject us when we make mistakes. No, no, he gives us more grace. That's why the Christian life is a life of repentance from sin, constant repentance, not one of perfection without sin. He gives us more grace. And alongside the Holy Spirit, He also supplies mature Christians around us, a church family to protect us, to nurture us, to educate, mature and grow each Christian. And likewise, to grow each other amongst the mature Christians as well, So this way of thinking and living becomes a bit more normal or at least becomes possible and we see how to do it. I got to say, I'm so thankful to God for the people he placed around me when I was first converted and ever since and has continued to do so. I don't know how I would have managed without them. Following someone else as they follow Jesus, that makes so much possible. So who do we follow? Who should we follow? Well, you can tell who those mature Christians are. You can tell who the ones who are worth following are in each church because their love for Jesus doesn't crumble under difficulty and hardship. Their love for Jesus doesn't crumble under difficulty and hardship. It's not that they don't have difficulty and hardship. No, they've got it all right. And nor is it that they deny it. And, and nor do they just you know, double down and ignore the trouble like some kind of stoic monk. No, instead... This kind of Christian leans into the issue. They slow down, they take refuge in the Lord and by praying and pondering the scriptures, using the wisdom that Christ supplies, they not only survive the hardship, they also even thrive and grow in and because of that hardship. When you meet a Christian like that, when you've got someone like that in your life who loves Jesus like that, Oh, stick to them like superglue. Hang around them, learn from them, pursue them, understand them. They are God's gift to you. I've, I've heard from many, from many people since I started here as a minister over a number of months that that's precisely the kind of ministry Wendy Cram had here at Bull Ivor many decades, 45 years in fact, uh, So Wendy, whose funeral's tomorrow, God provided her for some years in this church to be one of those mature Christian women here who had an astonishing joy, love for the Lord, love for His Word, and loved Him in difficulty. I did get the chance to pray with her. And yes, her love for Christ and eyes on Christ, even in the face of death, it was wonderful to be alongside her. But you know what? She's not the only one. And she's not the only one whom God supplied to this church. He's supplied others also. Wendy's got her retirement. She's gone to glory. Praise God for that. But he has supplied others as well. And as we look at people like Wendy, and as you you look at older believers who you think, you know what, that's what I want to be like when I get old. I want to be a Christian like that. Those kind of people, they show us that trajectory of maturity of the Christian life 
They show us what that target's like. They show us the amazing treasure of the church that is there, which is the glory of every mature Christian. And it's a glory that is ours even before we go to heaven. It's a glory that we have and possess even now before that heavenly glory that is yet to come, a glory that Wendy is now also enjoying. That's a strange thing to say, isn't it? That there is a glory we can have now that's as good as or better, or no, not better or good as, but certainly a glory now even before our heavenly glory. And it's a very strange thing. See, make no mistake about it, the salvation we possess, that you and I possess, even now, before we get to heaven, this Christian worldview is actually an astonishing privilege. It's an astonishing privilege. It's a privilege that is unique to God's people only in this time after Pentecost. So only since the day of Pentecost has this glory been the possession of God's people. Now we see it there in verses 10 to 12. It's something we already possess. And it's something that you and I have that is something the Old Testament believers never experienced. And even angels marvel to look into what God has given you and I by His Spirit. See, because of the Spirit, we know God in a way that they never did and never could. We understand God more personally and deeply than Moses, who was on the mountain with him, than Abraham, who walked with him, than Adam and Eve in the garden, even more than John the Baptist, who spoke with Jesus and baptised him, even more than the angels who stand beside the throne of God day and night in heaven. We have a more and closer and greater relationship with God than they do. Isn't this amazing? Us. Little old you and me. And so what should we do with this privileged understanding that we've got? Well, clearly we shouldn't ignore it, but nor should we get all puffed up and become all superior and look down on others because of it. Of course not. See, this is a Christian worldview. So it means we don't live like other people with privilege. No, what we do is we live like God and we put out, who's put us into his household and start living his way. And again, it continues. So verses 13 to 17. Therefore, knowing these things with minds that are now fully alert and sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but rather just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I am holy. And since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your, your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. That's humbling, isn't it? A Christian worldview breeds humble Christians. And Peter goes on, he finishes this chapter humbling us further, verses 18 to 25. He makes sure that we remember what we know about Jesus, what he saved us from, and how he did it, and when he did it. And how he brings us to God and how this changes our love for other Christians and who have also been born again by this imperishable word, just like us. And what's more, this informs our worldview. And so he goes on, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, because all these things are true, therefore, do something with this. 
Rid your lives of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies craves pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. And because the Holy Spirit's directing him, he just goes on and on writing about this throughout this letter. This shaping our Christian worldview, transforming our minds, which then informs our actions. It's like a potter shaping clay. The Holy Spirit takes the words of Jesus and applies them to our hearts and shapes us, educating us, getting from the inside out transformation that shows itself in our behaviours, shows itself in our hopes, shows itself in our plans. It affects our perspective on everything as deep as our sexuality and right through to the way we think about ourselves in terms of self-esteem right through to relationships and our approach to matters of health and sickness and death. And, and this shaping continues to happen whenever and we take up God's word and willingly allow it to shape us. Have you noticed, have you noticed that about yourself? Have you noticed that factor with others? Have you noticed that whenever we crave growing up in our salvation, whenever we crave proactively ridding ourselves of the things that hinder us, then we grow quickly? Have you noticed this about yourself as a Christian? And whenever, the opposite is also true, that whenever we crave the things that don't match Christ and we hold on tight to the things of this world, then our Christian growth becomes stilted and slows down. It can even stall. God gives each Christian a say in this. We don't lose control. Not by any stretch of the imagination. We actually participate. And so the speed and growth of what happens in each believer, we actually play a key part in this. So those maturity growth spurts that you experience, those amazing times you can remember that are kind of sudden and seismic, that's whenever we remember that the Lord is good and we grasp his word and submit our lives to him in radical ways. And whenever we hold back from his word, whenever we hold back from his people, whenever we stop letting his word impact us because it makes us uncomfortable, well, those are those times when that shift and change slows right down and we start to wonder, has God left me? No, he hasn't. But we're holding back from him. (laughs) And now the change he does in us is the slow erosion of one resistant grain of sand at a time as we stand back and away from him. But regardless of speed, always and ever, God's rule over the Christians is expressed in his word and is applied to our hearts and minds by his spirit. If you want to know what this looks like across a whole lifetime, Peter himself is an excellent example for us to look at in all these things. See, he shows up right across the New Testament. He he began in the gospel. Remember what he was like? Remember he's that fisherman bloke who Jesus called off the boat? You know, leave your nets and come and follow me. And what was he like? Peter was very good at opening his mouth just to put his other foot in there. He was a buffoon. As you read through the Gospels, you go, this bloke, he can't understand anything. He seems to get it wrong constantly. He's even the bloke who resisted the cross from happening and tried to stop it from happening. And then after Christ poured his spirit on Peter, he became an articulate spokesman. Even a daring evangelist who led the way of the mission to the Gentiles. 
An amazing change. His worldview of time and destiny and people and what was good and what was bad was so radically altered. Completely different man. But that transformation wasn't total. The penalty for sin had been sorted by Christ and he now had the Holy Spirit to overcome the power of sin in his life, but the presence of sin was still there. And so he likewise, like you and I, fell back to conforming to those old ways of thinking, to his self-centered, people-pleasing, fearful desires. And you and I looked at an example of that in Galatians 2 earlier this year. Remember that? When he created such a ruckus and caused so much trouble in the Antiochian church? Until Peter's death, the rule of Christ in his life would always be a gradual process, slowly transforming his whole person, but never eliminating the presence of sin. You see, for Peter and for us, the presence of sin will only be removed at Christ's return. But by keeping in step with the Spirit, he did make progress, growing and maturing in Christ. Whenever he kept his ears open to the Scriptures and allowed the Holy Spirit to make changes in him and the people of God to speak into his life, he made sound progress. And we have, by the end of his life, some amazing evidence of that. These two letters we have called 1 and 2 Peter. And Mark's gospel, because it's Mark who worked with Peter to write that gospel. Is that amazing? Now, if he can do that with someone like Peter, can he do it with someone like us? Simple people like you and I, can we grow also? Well, yes. Yes, we can, because we too have the Holy Spirit in us. And we're commanded to actually keep in step with the Spirit. We saw that here, chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. This is a command. Rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. It's something we can do. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. The New Testament is full of these commands for us as followers of Jesus so that we too will grow like Peter grew over time because we have been given new birth into his family you and i we have tasted that the lord is good we know this inheritance that's awaiting us and so the one thing we can personally control between now and then is how fast or how slow we grow in christ and mature in him so if you're you're a christian here this is christ's aim for you his aim for me It's for us to throw off that sin that hinders and grow like Christ. And if you're not a Christian here tonight, if you're here and visiting, it's lovely to have you here. You're probably wondering, what's it like to be a Christian? What kind of things do we have in store for you? What does God have in store for you? Well, now you know. This new worldview is what he wants to give you. This new worldview that is not a secret. No, no, no. It's been published for 2,000 years. It's there. It's readable. And if you need a copy, I'll happily give you one tonight. And if you're a Christian whose Bible's become a bit dusty, musty and mouldy and really should be probably put somewhere else, I'll give you a new one. Because let's get it open that we might keep in step with the Spirit and grow. Because it'll change us. It'll change us more and more into the likeness of Christ. It'll change the believer, everyone who trusts Him. Transformed. Growing. Confusion reducing as God's wisdom takes root in our lives that we'll be free to enjoy both the glory of Christ now and the glory of Christ forevermore. 
And that's where we're going to turn our minds next week as we come to look at the very end of God's picture. What he will do in us, not just now, but forever. To him be the glory. Amen.